what you've been waiting for. Movies, TV, music, and more. Follow, subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes dropping on Mondays. It's the mat, it's the mat, watch that. It's the mat, it's the mat, watch that. It's the mat, it's the mat, watch that podcast. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I'm not sure when it happened, but Halloween has become a big deal. You see, for the first 13, 14 years of my life, it meant the world. I was going out in a costume, getting some candy. What could be better? But by the time you turned 15, 16, you knew you were way too old for it. And it just became, let's throw eggs at each other. And there was probably a 10-year period where nothing happened on Halloween. You just stayed home giving out candy. But I would say in the last 15 years, adults have really embraced Halloween and go all out. That wasn't always the case. Christmas was number one. If a Christmas tree wasn't in the front windows, then you'd have lights on the outside. Those icicle lights became a big trend. And coming in at a distant number two was Halloween. But now it just seems like everyone has embraced it. And dressing up for work has become more of a new phenomenon, too. At my first job, we did not celebrate Halloween like that. You were to come in with your slacks and your button-down just like any other day. But at some point, someone decided, hey, we're in the entertainment industry, this is supposed to be fun. Yes, it might be an office job, but we don't work at the law firm of Fensterman, Siegel, Riley, and Stern. We can have a little fun with it. And fun we do. When I first started dressing up for Halloween parties as an adult, I started off in the pop culture realm. Whatever made news stories, that's what I was going to dress up as. So one year I was Joe the Plumber, if you remember him. Got runner-up, same as the person Joe the Plumber supported. But then I started doing anniversaries. One year I dressed up as Dr. Emmett Brown from Back to the Future because it was the 30th anniversary. And coincidentally, completely unplanned, one of my coworkers dressed up as Marty McFly. Very funny moment when we saw each other for the first time. Marty! But my favorite costume and first place prize winner was Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs. I was good friends with one of the maintenance guys, and I asked if he could get me a dolly. I brought in a doctor's shirt for my coworker, and they ended up wheeling me around as I was strapped into the dolly. I have to say, it was a rare moment of genius from me. So what are some of your favorite costumes that you've dressed up as? Hit me up on Facebook and Twitter using the hashtag MattWatchThat. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fair. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie The Hills Have Eyes from 1977. 
It was written, edited, and directed by Wes Craven, who helmed A Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, Swamp Thing, and A Vampire in Brooklyn. His interest in filmmaking started in his 20s and began his career as a sound editor. His first feature, The Last House on the Left, was banned in England. And you know it's bad because they eat blood pudding. The movie starts off with a family on a road trip, trailer in tow. They're on their way to California but took a detour in Nevada to visit a silver mine, as you do. You see, to commemorate the 25th wedding anniversary of parents Ethel and Big Bob Carter, their Aunt Mildred gave them the thoughtful gift of traveling to a dirty mine to pick out a piece of silver they liked. She couldn't keep it simple and give them a silver platter. Anyway, they stop by a service station called Fred's Oasis to fuel up. The owner tells them there's no longer any silver there, and the area is being used by the United States Air Force as a gunnery range. He tells them to forget the silver mine and head straight to California, giving them an ominous warning to stay on the main road. Oh boy, we know they're not. Along for the ride, our youngest daughter Brenda, portrayed by Susan Lanier. She was a regular on Tony Orlando and Dawn's Rainbow Hour and Welcome Back, Cotter, before transitioning to music in the 80s. Now for a little trivial trivia. She was cast as Chrissy Snow in an unaired pilot of Three's Company. Son Bobby is played by Robert Houston. He appeared in The Great American Girl Robbery in 1941 before moving behind the camera as a director. In 2005, he won an Oscar for Best Documentary Short Subjects for Mighty Times, The Children's March. Older sister Lynn is performed by Dee Wallace. She's known for Cujo, The Howling, Critters, a real scream queen. She was also the mother in E.T., The Extraterrestrial. Her husband, Doug Wood, is played by Martin Spear, who is in episodes of The Partridge Family and The Six Million Dollar Man. The crew is rounded out by Lynn and Doug's baby and a pair of German shepherds named Beauty, can you guess? And Beast. The family continues their journey to the silver mine. Big Bob Carter insists they're not lost. This was before Google Maps, Waves, and GPS, so Ethel has the Rand McNally map unfurled. Could be ripped out of the pages of every family road trip. Parents arguing over directions. Children in the back seats unbuckled. Good times to be had. The father becomes startled when an Air Force jet flying overhead passes by, distracting him long enough to not notice a rabbit in the middle of the lane, which forces him to veer off the main road. He determines that the axle is snapped and they're stranded. The family is unable to contact the outside world through their CB radio because the surrounding hills are filled with iron blocking the signal. That's very specific information for someone to know, but I'll go with it. Father Big Bob and son-in-law Doug decide to explore the area in hopes of reaching anyone for help. But unbeknownst to the family, a group of cannibals are watching their movements. Here's a quote without context. You know, you never used to use that language before you moved to New York City. In the pantheon of horror, the hills have eyes would fall into the realism category with the likes of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is probably the scariest subgenre because it could actually happen. Who hasn't been stranded on the side of the road in a strange town? For me, it was in Warwick, Rhode Island, when my friend's car acted up. This was before cell phones, so we had to walk into town with our luggage to find a payphone. It was at night, fairly quiet. We could have easily been killed. Whereas with some horror films, you can kind of distance yourself from the frights. Now, if you've watched a bunch of movies in the horror genre, you know many of the common tropes, so it's not surprising when a character is killed. But there were a few scenes I thought to myself, I know exactly where this is headed, and they didn't go there. 
So it was a pleasant surprise. It did keep me guessing on what was going to happen. Taking a page out of Jaws, you didn't get a clear view of the villains, but you did get a sense that something bad is out there. And when you finally do, it is a shark jumping out of the water moment. The most famous of the cannibal family is Michael Berryman, who acted in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, The Devil's Rejects, and made a cameo appearance in Weird Science. The sound design was interesting because there was a moment where I thought I was hearing something outside my own house, and I had to pause the movie a couple of times because I didn't realize it was background noise in the actual film. So thumbs up on that. This is my odd movie observation. There's an episode of The X-Files called Home. It was in Season 4, Episode 2, where Mulder and Scully investigate the death of a newborn, and it gets linked back to a rural family. It was written by Glenn Morgan and James Wong and got banned by Fox after its initial airing because of the disturbing imagery. It feels like a spiritual successor of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Hills Have Eyes. It's worth a watch if you're a fan of the genre. It was produced by Peter Locke, who is responsible for the cult classic But I'm a Cheerleader, and episodes of Divorce Court. The cinematography was captured by Eric Saarinen, whose filmography includes Modern Romance, Eat My Dust, and was the second unit director on Death Race 2000. I thought it looked great, a real grimy appearance. You could feel the heat, the rocks, the dust. The score was composed by Don Peake, who wrote the music for The People Under the Stairs, Body Count, and the television series Knight Rider. About 15 seconds into the movie, I already loved the score. Weird sounds, plucking of violin strings, immediately sets the tone for what's to come. I swear I've used the same effects in some of my own compositions. There was one song, though, that had an amazing bass line, but I didn't think it fit. It felt more like a funk song, which wasn't consistent with the rest of the score. But on its own, it's a pretty good track. The runtime is 1 hour 30 minutes, it had a budget somewhere between 350 and 700,000, and grossed 25 million at the box office. A sequel was released in 1985, written and directed by Wes Craven. In 2006, he was a producer on the remake and co-wrote the remake sequel with his son. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Coyotes, Movie Stars and Fancy Cars, Janitor of the Desert, Easy Pickens, Maypole, Baby's Fat, Sitting Ducks, Devil Dog, and Body Slam. I give it three and a half out of five stars. Add half a star if you're a fan of horror. Take off a half a star if you're not. If you've seen The Hills Have Eyes and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Growing up, I loved playing board games. Not all of them. I was never a fan of Monopoly, but I did love Clue. I liked anything where you had to solve a mystery using power of deduction, so it was right up my alley. But there was a chapter of the Clue franchise that I think a lot of people missed, and that was Clue, the VHS game. This was an amazing and groundbreaking concept. Now, if I were to explain the rules, we'd be here for 10 minutes. It was a little complicated. I think as a family, we tried playing this once, and it led to some disastrous results. The object of the game is to figure out who the murderer is, who the victim is, what weapon was used, and where the crime was committed, similar to the original board game. But the twist is, all the answers come from the VHS tape. 
You decide which game you're going to play, and you watch those scenes. And you have to watch them carefully, because within those scenes, there are clues about each character. After the scene was done, you'd play a round of cards, and the cards related to the scene that you just watched. So, for example, one of the clues might have said, I was smoking a cigarette. And you had to remember, because that would give you some insight as to who was a murderer and who was a victim. As a bonus, everyone who's playing the game gets a character card. And every so often, you have to give a character clue about who you are. Because not only do you want to solve the mystery on the tape, but you could also guess which character each person in the room is playing. Yeah, I'm telling you, they could not make this game more complicated. It's really an ingenious concept, and I can only imagine what the script was like because you had to coordinate not only a scene, but all the props that relate to the clues that are on the cards. But the most joy that I get is just watching the video, because the acting is so over-the-top and campy, but in a good way. One of my favorite characters is Mrs. White. Her accent changes about six or seven times throughout the video, and there was one scene, her breakout scene, where she reveals something intimate, and her line delivery is amazing. Gypsies! Gypsies came in the middle of the night and stole my baby! If you're thinking that's an exaggeration, absolutely not. Now, as usual, I hadn't seen this video in a very long time. It was thrown away decades ago. But our good friends at YouTube, of course someone posted it. And when I rewatched it, I had such a ball. It was as bad as I remembered. But what I didn't realize is there are other people out there who enjoyed this thing as much as I did. So much so that an actual documentary was made about the making of Clue the VHS game. So for your enjoyment, I'm going to be posting both of these. They're available on the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about In Search of Darkness, A Journey into Iconic 80s Horror, the quintessential documentary that covers iconic horror movies, franchises, hidden gems, and cult classics, year by year, from the filmmakers, writers, producers, and actors who helped make them. It's always fun hearing about how 80s horror movies were made, from tight shooting schedules to practical effects. But what's most enjoyable, for me at least, is coming across titles you've never heard of or haven't thought about in decades. The Ripper, Terror Vision, Blood Beach, The Nesting, Graduation Day, Candy Corn, Chopping Mall. Let me tell you, if Blockbuster was still around, I would be there tonight renting these movies three at a time. And it's funny because I don't think I truly appreciated the 80s despite growing up during that time. The movies, the music, television shows, there just seemed to be a lighthearted nature about things. Maybe it's because everyone was rich and on cocaine. But especially compared to today, people have permanent scowls on their faces looking for something to be offended by. It's like, take a chill pill. But anyway, watching this documentary inspired me to write my own 80s-styled horror film which I hope to have updates in later episodes of this podcast. But don't hold your breath. It does take me a while to write screenplays. It was written, directed, and produced by David A. Weiner. 
A sequel was released last year, which goes even further down the 80s horror rabbit hole. He has an upcoming documentary called In Search of Tomorrow, which explores 80s sci-fi films including interviews with Henry Thomas, John Carpenter, Sean Young, Adrian Barbeau, and many more. I'm certainly looking forward to that. If you're a fan of horror films, you won't go wrong with this documentary. In Search of Darkness, a journey into iconic 80s horror and its sequel, is currently streaming on Shudder. Oh, a a word of caution, it's over four hours. So, strap in. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, come and get it. But anyway, watching this documentary inspired me to write my own 80s horror-styled film. Nope, nope, that's, that's not right. She's known for the who, the who. She's known for Cujo, the hool, the hooling. Oh, it's a little hooling. I swear I've used some of the same found effect. Found effects?